0: Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports.
1: One, one pitch. the Get up, Bob. Get up. Get out of here. Get
0: up. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasy baseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league.
1: Where fantasy becomes reality.
0: Now, here's Adam, Scott, Heath, and Chris. It's
2: Sunday night. It's fantasy baseball today after dark. And we are just now emotionally recovering from the auction we did on Friday afternoon. Fact, actually, Chris hasn't recovered. That's why he's not on the show. He's still, like, regretting every move he made. Adam Azer and Scott White, no Chris tonight. Uh I, I just kind of discovered this whole show won't be about auctions, but we'll definitely recap uh, our thoughts from the auction. Uh You know, it's impossible to do an auction without having some regrets along the way, Scott. Impossible. No
0: regrets, Adam. <laughs> no. It's tattooed on my chest, spelled incorrectly. No regrets. No
2: regrets, and you no re- <laughs> you uh, you feel like you go into an auction, and you're like, well, I can control everything because I'm gonna have a strategy, and it just yeah. doesn't work. It doesn't work out that way. I-, I don't know
0: if Chris is has a lot of regrets. He doesn't seem like a very regretful person after auctions. Uh, typically, he I seems like he hated himself. Though. They're he- stressful, yeah, but they're thrilling and. Uh, I, I'm usually I'm usually pretty happy with the way they're going, but this one was um,
2: <laughs>
0: I was depressed for most of it. I, I think I think I recovered toward the end, but for most of it I, I felt like it was it was basically four straight Fridays of auctions and I was like on you know just a couple hours' sleep and I just basically did not have the discipline that I would normally have during an auction I think
2: I'd your just... team's good I like your team we'll get, oh, I, we'll get I, into yeah it. I good. like it too like
0: I said I got I, I kind of recovered at the end by miraculously getting all of my most typed sleepers which is something that almost never happens during an auction um so I feel better about it because of that but yeah for most of it I was like why did I spend this amount on this guy and it's just, it's hard to have discipline in the moment because you have to make a split-second decision, you know? Like, yeah. oh, that guy shouldn't be going for that cheap. Oh, but does he fit into my plan? Does he fit into how much money I have left? And even if you have a, a well, a carefully crafted plan, like you said, Adam, you know you're going to have to stray from it at some point and choosing exactly when to do that is... is uh, It's just an instinctual thing and it's it's difficult.
2: Sometimes it's... I'm going to stray from my plan because I have to get this guy at this value. You know, for me, I didn't plan on getting Freddie Freeman, but I just thought, like, oh, I really like that value. I'm going to get him, and then I sort of change my strategy. But anyway, second half of the show will be auctions. Uh, today, we're going to talk about Aaron Jones. We're going to talk about Justin Verlander, Gary Sanchez, Willie Calhoun, Trey Mancini, and more. We're going to talk I think you
0: meant Aaron Judge, right? Aaron Jones is a football player. <laughs>
2: We are going to talk about Aaron Judge. We're not going to talk about Aaron Jones. This yeah. is a Packers free show. We're going to talk about potentially a forgotten sleeper. Someone that was mentioned on our shortstop preview and uh, maybe even mentioned once since. Spring training storylines, recent ADP trends based on uh, the last week of NFBC drafts, which are high stakes expert, you know, good, you know, very uh, good fantasy players there. And we'll um, take a look at, Some of the recent trends. The round two picks are really interesting. There's a group of round two picks going 16 through 22nd overall. Bregman, 16th overall for Bregman. Tatis, Jose Ramirez, Freddie Freeman, Bryce Harper, Anthony Rendon, Rafael Devers. And it's just an extremely important part of your draft. So make sure you're getting your second round pick right. We'll talk about those guys. Let's go. Oh, a quick correction from, I don't remember if it was the Friday show or the mailbag show on Saturday. We were talking about relievers and guys, we want, and I said Diego Castillo, and then I started giving all these reasons for why I wanted Diego Castillo, but I really meant to say Jose Alvarado. <laughs> <laughs> so Jose Alvarado is the yeah. Rays reliever that I'm most interested in. Well, no, I, I guess I'd rather have Nick Anderson, but wouldn't surprise me as Alvarado became the closer or had at least a similar number of saves as Anderson. He, I think, had a good excuse for his struggles last year. His family was in Venezuela and that situation was terrible for him. He took like a month off. And then he came back. He was out of shape. And his numbers were crap. But in 2018, 239 ERA, 80 strikeouts and 64 innings. 111 whip. Uh, both 2017 and 18, a 111 whip, which isn't great for a reliever. But I think he's really talented. They seem to be raving about him. I said Diego Castillo. I meant Jose Alvarado. I said Aaron Jones. I meant Aaron Judge. Scott, let's start there. Stress fracture in his rib. During the auction, I got Aaron Judge for $21, which... You know, if there had been everybody
0: was nervous at that point, we didn't know fractured rib, but we were nervous.
2: Right, right. We found out about three hours later before the end of the whole thing that judge had a stress fracture in his rib, in which case he probably would have gone for like ten dollars. But to give some comparison, he went for twenty one dollars. I think Pete Alonzo went for like twenty three or something. Uh, I'm trying to find comparable. Let's see what Devers went for. 27 so i like the value and then now i don't um <laughs> when would you take aaron judge at this point what are you expecting
0: uh so let me what am i expecting okay let's get into that first i actually moved him down to a ten dollar value i moved him down to 122nd overall i just had to refresh my rankings page here because um, it was left up on my desktop here from last week so, yeah, I moved him down to 122nd overall in Roto, just behind Ramon Laureano and Michael Conforto in a, in a points league. I think I'd still have him ahead of Laureano, but basically right outside my top 30 outfielders because I am not I'm not feeling great about this. First of all, how do you feel as a Yankees fan knowing <laughs> that this is an injury Judge suffered in September Luis Severino's elbow was hurting since last September. James Paxton was having back issues since at least last September, right? Like These are all things that could have been addressed at the start of the offseason. I think Severino
2: was October. I think he hurt it in his final start of the postseason. Okay, And he was going to pitch. If there was a Game 7, they lost in Game 6. He was going to pitch in Game 7, even though he had this issue. I was just reading today Aaron Judge sort of took responsibility for not saying anything during the off season. He felt like he could get through it and it was just a minor thing. Uh mm. but it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. It's, they fired their whole seems training staff. to me. Yeah, it it's seems, insane. It's insane.
0: It, like even okay, if it was just judge. Okay. <laughs> you know? Like okay, stuff happens. Things guys aren't honest about the way they're feeling. Whatever but all like three of their top six players, they wasted six months of recovery time. It's insane.
2: Yeah, it's, it's terrible. Uh, So, (laughs) so here's what we know. He has a stress fracture in his rib. They're avoiding surgery for now. They're going to reevaluate in two weeks. I don't really think there's any timetable and I don't know what the timetable would be. Maybe, you know, I haven't seen it if he needs surgery because surgery is not off the table, but if judge needs surgery, I haven't seen like how long he'd be out.
0: So I just Googled, uh, rib removal surgery because that's it, it, i think there's even a lesser surgery than that but that has been mentioned that possibly removing the rib and apparently it, as extensive as that sounds you're back to feeling like that you're pain free after 6 weeks according to google <laughs> but I'm sure there was a more specific <laughs> thing I was looking at, but then like the, the top Google results, <laughs> this is not a super official thing, but I just wanted a rough idea of what he was looking at. But even so, like if he goes under the knife two weeks from now is feeling a hundred percent, six weeks after that, like he can't, regardless of whether or not he has surgery, he can't start swinging a back, a bat again until the pain is completely gone. Now he, he, because with a stress fracture, if you're if you're putting that kind of um, force on it, if you're if you're constantly in, initializing it like that, then that's going to lead to a full fracture. You, like it has to be recovered, you know. So I, I'm not even sure if it changes the timetable that much. Like he, he's going to need a while to feel right now. He says otherwise. He says. Uh, the, the, the cat scan showed that it was healing and he thinks that within two weeks he'll be ready to ramp up again. But I just, I think he's being too optimistic there. I'm not, I'm not a doctor or anything, but just in terms of how recovered it sounds like he needs to be. And then he has to go through a full spring training basically because he hasn't seen a pitch yet, you know, he hasn't played yet. Um, so I think the most optimistic I'm willing to to estimate for him is like mid-May. And it seems like the sort of thing where he could keep re-aggravating it and potentially miss half the
2: season. It stinks. Yeah. All right. So about the end of round 10 for Scott in a 12-team league, Will, uh, around the same time as Michael Conforto and Ramon Laureano, that's Aaron Judge. Meanwhile, Willie Calhoun was hit in the mouth by a pitch. So he went to the hospital – Hopefully, he can recover quickly. Same with Trey Mancini. Trey Mancini is going to have a non-baseball medical procedure. I mean, obviously, the details are very vague. They're respecting his privacy. He's going to be out for some time. So, where did you drop Trey Mancini to in your overall rankings?
0: I haven't moved him yet because we just don't know anything. Um, So... I don't know. I I guess if we go too long without hearing anything, I'll have to move him down just out of an abundance of caution, but we don't know anything yet. So I'm I'm hoping we hear something in the next day or two, and then I can make a decision then. Okay. Because it sounds like it's, it sounds like he's getting tested for something and, and they don't know if there's anything beyond like maybe just the test clears it. But I'm, I'm just kind of reading between the lines there.
2: Well, how about Justin Verlander? He left with tricep soreness, you know? Yeah, it's still too early. Verlander, to me, this is just a personal preference. Like fantasy, so much of fantasy is just personal preferences. He's on my unofficial do not draft list. Obviously, if he fell far enough, you know, if he was like there at the end of round two, I'd take him, but I know he isn't. So I've made him my definitive fourth of my big four, and I think most people like taking him over Scherzer. But even though Scherzer has dealt with injury two years in a row, really last year being most specific, but I'm worried about Verlander because he keeps making these deep runs into the postseason. He's way up there in age. And, it, you know, it, it, it's basically just the innings piling up. I'm waiting for that one year where he finally starts dealing he, with injuries. So he has been an avoid for me. And he's already had a groin issue. I really didn't care about that. Now tricep soreness, and this happened earlier today on Sunday, so we don't know much. But how are you just yeah. feeling about him in general?
0: I, I felt pretty, I mean, as good as you can feel about a 37-year-old pitcher, right? I, I'm kind of acknowledging there's a lot of risk with every pitcher. And so to fixate on the age when he's showing no signs of decline is probably not really useful. Um. Innings, you know, he has it's such a track record of health. He only has one DL stint, or IL stint, sorry, in his entire career.
2: And it was a DL stint back then. It was, it was, it was before DL we stint. even called it the IL. No, for me, it's about the innings, not about the age. But, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um. So, you know, he, he, he apparently was throwing more like low to mid-90s in the start before we're being removed. But second start of spring training, if he has a sore triceps, I, I don't think that's necessarily a red flag that there's something serious happening they just don't know he's he's they called the astros called it precautionary but the fact they sent him for tests means the test could reveal something or they could not and he just needs a little time off and it ends up being no big deal so it's just it's the range of outcomes here is too wide for me to to really have a strong reaction one way or the other
2: do you prefer him to Scherzer where are you on that
0: yeah well Maybe not with this going on. If I was drafting during this window of time where we don't know anything, yeah, I'd probably take Scherzer instead.
2: You actually have Verlander second ahead of DeGrom, at least before this tricep soreness. Yeah,
0: obviously changes that too. I thought I'd made that switch actually. I thought I'd move DeGrom ahead, but apparently not. Gary
2: Sanchez has back soreness. He thinks he'll be fine in a couple of days, but he's extremely injury prone. He probably had this back issue in September. Uh... (laughs) So, but anyway, Gary Sanchez's back soreness. Are you? Are we thinking about downgrading him?
0: Um, not really. Uh, if I was on the fence about him and Real Muto, that this would lean me more toward Real Muto. But he described it as being a Sanchez described it as being a little uncomfortable, and that this is the time to take care of it, as opposed to the regular season, which makes it sound like no big deal to me.
2: Carlos Carrasco has elbow inflammation. Reaction. That
0: also was being strongly downplayed. Terry Francona said after his first spring start every year, he has elbow inflammation. And I I do feel like yeah, there's not a great place to look up spring training injury history, but I do feel like we've had this conversation in the past with Carrasco in spring training about, oh, he's hurting. Should we be scared of drafting him? Hmm. He's already so low in that group of pitchers that I feel like have the potential to actually be of some benefit that I'm not really alarmed enough to move him down based on, on this. But uh, it's obviously something to monitor.
2: Griffin Canning is going to be shut down for three to four weeks. He's got those chronic changes in his UCL. We'll see what happens after those three to four weeks. Tommy Pham could play the outfield this week. He has side soreness and a sprained UCL. A partially torn UCL, you said, for Tommy Pham? Yes. Yes. Uh, Oscar Mercado day to day with a mild wrist brain. and he's played through it in the past. Yeah, fan Yeah, yeah. Oscar Mercado day to day with a mild wrist brain, so he avoided serious injury there. Blake Snell expects to pitch on Monday, which is good. We'll see how he comes out of that. A few things to promote, exciting stuff. The Facebook group Fantasy Baseball Today. Go to fa- go to Facebook.com/groups/slash Fantasy Baseball Today. Join the group. We've got keeper threads. We've got just generic questions that you can you know chime in on. Hopefully, you can get your question posted um good topics of debate good discussions with other fantasy baseballers and the podcast league it's been too long let's get the podcast league up and running again so we'll do two leagues like we always do you know by now that heath is not on the show as a regular contributor anymore so i doubt he's going to want to be the commissioner of the for the people league but we'll still do a for the people league i really hate that league i like hate it so too. why much. are we doing
1: it i'll
2: tell you why I think it's important to have a 16-team league for content purposes so we can say, well, in a 16-team league, this happened. And I think it's important to have a head-to-head categories league because, you know, a lot of people play in that format. Yeah. so We,
0: we could do one that's not a 16-team league. You know, I play in some 15-team leagues, Adam.
2: I would be open to doing a 12-team head-to-head categories league. I'm already in one of those. <laughs> uh, but we'll definitely have two podcast leagues. So here's what you're going to do. You're gonna email four people. Four
0: people are like, ah,
2: don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. You're gonna put podcast league in the subject line. And you can do whatever you want. You wanna just say, hey, I've been listening for 10 years. I love the show. Please put me in. That's fine. If you want to write a poem or a limerick or a haiku or something funny, you can do that. Something creative. Creativity is great. Last year, I remember we had this. John Gray
0: You can draft him if you want to
2: and The song went on. We had this. This is about drafting Aaron Judge. So if we can get to the lyrics here. We'll get there,
1: Scott. Fantasy
2: baseball at CBSi.com That's what you're going to want to email. And here come the lyrics. In three, two, one. It starts with My trial Then we keep that with Okay, there's that. And then this was the best one. This was about <laughs> drafting pitchers to the song Picture by Kid Rock and Cheryl Crow.
0: I started
1: draft taking hitters. Cause I heard that those hurlers get injured. Almost filled my life.
2: I won't go on, but it was really good. And it got into the podcast league. Um, So, yeah. Go ahead. Send them in at fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. And we'll start drafting probably around the 20th or something like that. So, you've got a little bit of time. Don't make this mistake,
1: people. This ended up being kind of prophetic, right? (laughs) Yeah.
2: All right, good stuff. All right, let's let's uh, let's talk about a forgotten sleeper. I think you mentioned him on the shortstop preview. Dansby Swanson, before going on the IL, he played 100 games, and he was good, you know, 265, 330 on base, 468 slugging. It's a 798 OPS. But he was on pace for 28 homers, 35 doubles, 5 triples, 10-ish steals. I, th- I think uh, he stole 10 bases in 127 games. So that's a useful player. It's not someone based on those numbers that's going to win you your league. But he's also still just 26 years old, getting better. And I just wanted to know what you thought about Dansby Swanson, if he is being completely overlooked.
0: I mentioned him in the shortstop preview as my sleeper, right? I I kind of qualified it by, you know, there's there's gotten to be so many good players here that it's hard to find a sleeper. Um, But, yeah, I mean... The difference before and after the uh, the injury, which I think was a heel thing, right, something to his heel, was, was startling. And before he missed that time with the heel injury, he was looking like another one of those big breakouts at the shortstop position where, okay, this is another guy you have to get in your lineup in some way, even if it's at your utility spot. Um, the fact that he was a viable base dealer Uh, obviously was a factor in that but he's just kind of an all-around decent hitter and he ended up the final line I'm sure a lot of it was influenced by him you know trying to play not at full health he ended up outperforming underperforming his expected stats pretty significantly 20 points on the batting average 30 points on the WOBA uh, and, slugging yeah. percentage was like 60 points that Swanson he underperformed it. So, was, I, I mean, he definitely improved sorry. in terms of exit velocity, an ideal launch angle. Uh, the strike out to walk ratio has always been pretty good for him. And yeah, I can see him taking a, a, another step forward. Even if he was just meeting the expected stats, he's probably going to be, um, I mean, he might, he might verge on a top 15 option at that very deep position.
2: Yeah, sorry i interrupting you there. I was just going to say, his last 27 games after coming off the IL, he hit 194 without a home run. So it makes his numbers look a lot worse. Again, useful player, about an 800 OPS, and underperformed his expected stats. Dansby Swanson. Would you rather have Dansby Swanson or Didi Gregorius?
0: I probably do rank Gregorius ahead of him. I think Swanson... I'd be more likely to wait and take Swanson. Like, if I was that hard up for a shortstop at the point where D.D. Gregorius is going, I'm probably just waiting for Swanson.
2: Let's talk about some spring storylines, Scott. Is there anything that you want to update us on since we talked on Friday? I know Miguel Cabrera was a big storyline for you. Anything uh, over the weekend that jumped out?
0: Uh, Will Brent... Sorry, no, Will Brentson. After Dark. Lewis Brinson is having, continues to have a very good spring. I think the most notable stat is that he struck out one time, I want to say, and he hit his third home run over the weekend. Don Mattingly said he's a different guy this spring. Uh, a former tip top prospect who has just not been able to get anything going in the majors during the regular season. Uh, I know he talked about, I think he struck out twice now, but twice in 25 bats. And, uh, he talked about barreling up balls more this year. So, I don't know. I mean, he's not going to show up on my sleeper list, but let's not totally, uh, let's not totally forget about him. Another guy who was known for striking out a lot and, I might be more eager to draft if I knew he had a job, was Austin Riley. He's had a very low K rate this spring and has worked to close some of the holes that were found in his swing during his rookie season. He might win the third base job. He might beat out Johan Camargo for that job, but Camargo's having a pretty good spring too. Uh, let's see, other big things from the weekend.
2: Well, I got one, I'll, I'll let you think. Okay. Robbie Ray's new delivery. Yeah. Could be a game changer. Kind of reminds me of Blake Snell decided to change his positioning on the mound midway through the 2017 season, I believe. And then he won the Cy Young the following year. Uh, Didn't he win the Cy Young that year? Or did he? Uh, 2018, yeah. Yeah. So it just changed his control. I mean, just. And so Robbie Ray, I had mentioned this on the starting pitcher preview. I'm not sure if we had mentioned it since, but. Robbie Ray, he has been falling off to the mound toward third base. He's trying to stay straighter, align himself differently. And so far, so good. The results, the control's been better. It's, it's like six innings or something like that. But it's just yeah. something to keep an eye on. Could this unlock some new potential in Robbie Ray? Uh, that was somebody who went for a very low price in our auction, and I kind of wanted yeah. to get him. But again, I couldn't stray from He went for $4. I couldn't I, stray I, from my strategy.
0: I feel like we're not going to see enough evidence of that for me to really believe in it because it's just on his windup. But it's 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 interesting. He worked on it with Zach Granke, apparently, who of course is a great control pitcher. So yeah, it's it's interesting. Mike Fultonevich had a big start on Saturday, six strikeouts and three and two third one hit innings, and he threw a bunch of sliders. In that start, remember him lacking the slider, yep. coming off of an elbow injury early last year, is what got him sent to the minors to to kind of figure it out again. And then he came back up and looked very strong. So, Mike Foltanevich might be might end up being I, I might end up undervaluing him by not including him with the pitchers that I feel like are going to be um, fairly reliable contributors for you this year.
2: Would you rather have Fulton-Evich or Robbie Ray? I think Fultonevich. Ooh. Alright, would you rather have Fultonevich or Luke Weaver?
0: Man, Weaver's been getting pummeled this spring, but I'm going to try and not overreact to that and say I'll say Luke Weaver.
2: <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> it's like we know we should not overreact to that, but it's hard not to see bad results and not react, but <laughs> but we'll see. There's still a lot of spring training left. All right, should we go to some recent ADP trends? Sure. Okay, so we're looking at NFBC average draft position trends since March 1st, currently March 8th. Let's talk about that group in the second round. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about the second round hitter run. We're going to talk about Austin Meadows going 31st overall ahead of Altuve and Bogarts. Keston Hira, 39th overall. Ahead, one spot ahead of Charlie Blackman for Keston Hira. JT Real Muto, 43rd overall. Gary Sanchez, 69th overall. Yasmani Grandal, 95th overall. So a big difference between Real Muto and Sanchez. Blake Snell, 48th overall. And then I'll t- I'm not even going to tell you who's going 49th overall because you won't believe me. Well, I'll, t- I'll tell you a little bit, though. But let's start with that round two hitter run. Bregman, 16. This is Roto, by the way. And I actually don't know, Scott. Is it OBP? It can't be OBP, right? It's got to be batting average.
0: I'm pretty sure it's batting
2: average, yeah. Cause if it's OBP and Alex Bregman's going 16th overall. <laughs> yeah. That's insane. Uh, Bregman, Tatis, Ramirez, Freeman, Harper, Rendon, Devers. Those are picks 16 through 22. Bregman, Tatis, Jose Ramirez, Freeman, Harper, Rendon, Devers. What do you think?
0: I mean, it's still pretty insane where Alex Bregman's going. I'm not sure he isn't the third best hitter in baseball. Now, obviously, when you're talking roto context, you have you're you're counting stolen bases as a fifth, as a fifth of a hitter's production, and so that kind of skews the thinking there. I understand. I don't rank Bregman like the third best in that format, and others like Mookie Betts, Cody Bellinger. I mean, they have obviously a case in there too, but. If I was just ranking them by pure hitting expectations and ability, I would probably put Bregman third behind just Trout and Yelich. So to see him go in the second round, and he's dual eligible too. And he's dual
2: eligible, exactly. Yeah. You know, we don't talk about that, but he's Cody Bellinger, Alex Bregman, I think they're the only two hitters going in the first two rounds that are dual eligible. You know, I mean,
1: I, mean, I, I think so. I think you're right. I'm yeah. looking
2: on was... uh, on NFBC. According to their eligibility, it's just them, and then the third one would be Gleber Torres in round three. So that's not that's not a huge deal, but it's it's not a small deal. It's it's very helpful. I've had drafts where
0: I've taken Bregman expecting to play him at one of those spots, and then I end up sure playing him at another. It just opens up your options. Yeah, it's 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 nice. I I have to assume it's just uh. Fear about the Astros situation and and all of the uncertainty surrounding that.
2: Yeah, I and think it's, it's a lack of steals,
0: but that that's that's the only way I can explain it.
2: It's a lack of steals too. I think that's a big part of it. But you think that uh, Bregman might uh, run a little bit more?
0: I think so. I think he's capable of it. He's he's been a seventeen steal guy in the past, just a couple years ago, right? And now he has Dusty Baker as his manager. Uh, he could absolutely turn it on and steal 20 bases this year i i'm not saying you should draft him expecting that but um yeah it's just it's to just assume he's a not a steals guy too i think is probably doing it wrong
2: all right so he's obviously your your number one there and i should say these are picks 16 through 22 there are five pitchers off the board at this point the big four plus Walker bueller so you're talking about hitters 11 through 17. Uh, so Bregman, Tatis, Ramirez, Freeman, Harper, Rendon. I don't understand. I'm wondering if it's the wrist injury with Freeman because he might be like the fourth best hitter in baseball. Uh, he is an awesome hitter. And Freeman had a terrible September when he was playing through a wrist injury, but he had a 964 OPS before September. Now, he's still dealing with this wrist thing a little bit, or or he was as of recently, so... Maybe that's it, but you know what it is? It's
0: it's stolen bases. The, I'm looking at the, all the names now. It's stolen bases, and it's high-end starting pitchers are getting slotted ahead of these guys uh, because the the top five are the top the are what the top five have always been in some order: Acuna, Trout, Yelich, Bellinger. That's actually behind Garrett Cole here, so another ace. But all of those guys you have, all five of those guys, you have some kind of hope for stolen bases from them. Uh, then the next hitters are Lindor, Juan Soto, and Story. Lindor and Story, of course, will give you steals. Soto had 12 last year, and he's just hes just a guy who everybody seems to be expecting another step forward from. I don't know. I, I feel like he shouldn't go ahead of Bregman and Freeman, but I'm not surprised to see him go ahead of Bregman and Freeman. And then there's Trey Turner, obvious steals candidate there. Okay, then there's Arenado, but Arenado, Bregman... Uh then there's Tatis and Ramirez, who are a couple big steals guys. Then there's Freeman. And in the meantime, you have, of course, the three starting pitcher, the four starting pitchers who are normally Seago Early, Cole de Gram, Verlander, and Scherzer, and then also Walker Bueller sneaking in there as the fifth guy. I, I don't know I don't know that he deserves the same upcharge those first four do, but nonetheless, that seems to be what's happening.
2: Okay, it's it's not that crazy. I I think that you know we obviously have been saying that Tatis, it's too early for him at seventeen. It's not too early for Jose Ramirez. Bryce Harper is an interesting pick at twenty overall. I think in an OBP league, it's perfectly fine. You're talking about a guy who seems to be almost guaranteed to hit thirty five home runs and have more than two hundred runs plus RBIs, and he's going to have a really healthy on base percentage. Batting average league is a little bit tougher.
0: But healthy he, is an interesting word to use with him.
2: He's been pretty healthy. I mean, he's kind of kicked that injury thing, Bryce Harper. Look he was healthy, play.
0: what, last year? I, I think it's and been like four Was he
2: healthy the year before? I think it's been like four of the last five years Bryce Harper's been okay. healthy, I'll tell you right now, but that's one of those kind of surprising yeah. things. Yeah, uh, now he's played five, through he's injury. Played least
0: 145 games, you're right. He, he
2: had that one year, though, where he played hurt and he was good for like two months and then he yeah. Back injury,
0: yeah, that was stunk. 2016.
2: Um so, but yeah, 159, 157 games last two years for Harper. Yeah, I don't know how do you feel about Harper in the top 20 or was he 20th?
0: I think it's stolen bases again. It always comes back to stolen bases with hitters when you're when you're wondering why a hitter is going where he's going, look to the stolen bases. He had 15 last year. That's that's good. Not an insignificant number. Yeah. And I think he already has 3 this spring, so it doesn't seem like they're shying away from that for however much you can base uh, team tendencies on spring training stats. But you got to think Joe Girardi is going to be more willing to let Harper run than Gabe Kapler was.
2: Well, seems like anybody would be than Gabe Kapler, right? I mean, yeah. He's not a I'm surprised
0: yet. he stole 15 bases with Gabe Kapler as his manager.
2: I don't think I really like Rendon and Devers. I know I don't like Devers 22 overall. Rendon, it's probably too late for him in a points league. He yeah. 21 overall, but in a Roto League, I want to know how you feel about that. This is what he's done the last three seasons. He has been the number 21, number 25, and number three hitter in points leagues. But remember, he he uh, he has been on a per-game basis, because he hasn't played that many games, right? Per-game basis in points leagues, he's been the number 21, number 8, and number three hitter. it has been a top-eight hitter two straight years in points leagues, Rendon. Roto, he's usually not as good. He's been the number 36, number 28, and number 5 hitter in Roto last three seasons because of the home runs. I mean, he hit 34 home runs last year. I think his previous career high was 25. So he was he had a lot more home runs at home than he did on the road. He's going to a worse park. I wonder. He's not a steals guy. So 21 for Rendon. You, I would take Flaherty over him. Um, I would take J.D. Martinez over him. I don't know if there are any other hitters I'd take over him other than those two, but over other than JD Martinez that went after Rendon. But uh, yeah, curious your thoughts there. I think
0: I'm fine with him there. I originally ranked him even a, I ranked him a lot higher than that before I realized I needed to move up steals guys and and high end starting pitchers because that's where most of the value. Uh, that that's. That's just what you have to spend on because of how consequential it is in a 5x5 league anyway. And um, ahead of those two players specifically, I have him just ahead of J.D. Martinez, and I have him three spots ahead of Flaherty. So uh, I do have him behind Bueller. I have him behind Bieber, who is my number six starting pitcher. I know there's a lot of disagreement about that, but I I do have him behind Bieber. It really... Like he hit the ball a lot harder last year. He The numbers he earned, which were incredible, MVP level, were justified. But why did he hit the ball so much harder last year? I don't know. I don't know that I've seen a good explanation for that yet, and I'm not sure that I, I would. I, 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 it might have just been one of those fluky things that happened, you know?
2: I love Rendon. Just, he's kind of a great all-around player that all of his greatness is captured in points leagues. Great plate discipline. He could hit like 50 Mm -hmm. doubles, but usually he just doesn't hit that many home runs. And he's like a better real life player than he is in five by five. Last year he was not. Last year he was number five hitter in Roto. Um, If the home runs go back to like 25, I don't know that you're going to want him 21st overall. Just throwing that out there. All right, Scott, let's go down a little bit and let's get to Austin Meadows 31st overall so, that's pretty interesting. He went for $24 an hour auction out of a $260 budget. By comparison, Mike Trout and Ronald Acuna were a little bit more than $50. Um, let's see. Uh, Jose Altuve was also 24 Meadows was 24 And he's going ahead of Altuve, and he's going ahead of Xander Bogarts in the last week of NFBC uh, drafting. So, he's also going ahead of Cattell Marte. Curious, your thoughts on Meadows at 31 overall. I don't think we've talked all that much about Meadows.
0: I don't. I'm, I'm not particularly suspicious of Meadows' production last year. Uh, just the fact that it was his first year doing that. I, I know there's some natural suspicion that comes with that, but the numbers seem like they were earned based on the batted ball data, the stat cast data, and it's... it's it's five category production. And the fact that he had twelve steals most years, that number wouldn't be one that jumped out at me. But in given the scarcity of stolen bases today, I think you have to factor that in to your assessment of him. Twelve steals for a guy who hits for average and thirty plus homers. Hopefully, he can do that again.
2: And he only played one hundred and thirty eight games, Austin Meadows. So oh, there you go. Yeah, but his so. steals were interesting because he had seven steals. In his first 39 games, then he pretty much stopped running. He had five in his last 99 games. No idea what that means, but right. was interesting. I,
0: I, th- I think the one, uh, or maybe there's three outfielders who go behind him that I kind of, they, they give me balls. They make me wonder if that's the right move. And I would probably know that it's not. Our uh, Cattell Marte, just because he's got the second base eligibility, that's a more difficult position to fill. Charlie Blackman, uh, incredible track record, and was studly last year too. Uh, he he stopped running almost completely last year, but he's usually, the, the last few years, he's been good for about a dozen. I don't think it's outrageous to think he could bounce back with that number again. And then George Springer, who, who was just a total monster last year and is obviously more proven than Meadows. 15 so picks I would take after those three ahead of Meadows.
2: He's going 15 picks after Meadows, George Springer.
0: Yeah, That's I, I was just sorting by outfielders. But yeah, 15 picks overall, that seems like... That seems like... Yeah, I don't love that. I don't know what's going on with Meadows there. That doesn't seem... That doesn't seem right.
2: How about Keston Hira, 39th overall. One spot ahead of Charlie Blackman, seven spots ahead of George Springer. Uh, if you want to just look at second baseman, let's see, the next second baseman off the board will be Whit Merrifield, 58th overall. So Keston Hira... Fortieth overall. That's the middle of round four, and wow, that's it's very high for Kestenira.
0: Yeah, uh, he's you're ranking him alongside hitters hitters that you hope he's as good as. In a best case scenario with the bat, he'll be something like Charlie Blackman, I guess. Which is again leading to me to believe it all comes back to the stolen bases for. The amount he contributed in half a season's time, you're hoping he gives you 15 to 20. And if he does, maybe it'll be worth it. But it's just so frustrating because you, I don't want to get behind paying that much for steals, which are so volatile and so hard, difficult to predict. And yet, you have to get them from somewhere. If you just punt on that category, it's it's. I, I've never been a big believer in punting. I think it it obviously lowers your team's potential, the overall ceiling. It it gives you fewer ways to man- maneuver in season as things are happening that you don't expect to happen. Uh so I don't like doing it, but it's you're forced to you're forced to, it, it it's it's sort of like the risk with starting pitchers frankly. Like I, I know a lot of people have been Really reluctant to buy into pitching, high-end pitching, as hard as I've been doing it because of the volatility there and the the injury risks, and we've seen it affect a lot of pitchers here even before the season started. So I get it. You're you're making riskier picks, but it just seems like a no-win situation because if you don't make those picks, you're kind of condemning yourself to lose, it feels like, because where are you going to get that otherwise?
2: So are you saying you're okay with Cestaniere going 39th 40th No, overall? I'm not. I'm not. But you understand I'm it. not. I understand it. It's just there like, you just... can't you cannot overlook the history of players who just really struggled in their sophomore season when we had very little to go on. Cody Bellinger. Yeah. Rafael Devers. The, these are just recent examples, but Right. it's possible. I mean to take him ahead of a guy like Charlie Blackman, a guy like, uh, a guy like well, he's going right behind him, a guy like George Springer. Some of these pitchers, I don't And that's know, what I lean into much.
0: too. Like, consider the, the full history of the guys you're drafting. Like I was saying for Blackman, yes, he basically didn't run last year, had two stolen bases and seven attempts, so it was a poor success rate. But the previous three years, 12, 14, and 17, the year before that was 43. That's obviously not going to happen. But why couldn't he get double-digit steals again? And how much worse is that than what you're hoping for from Keston Hira? George Springer, I I think, is... No, I think he's probably been less than that in terms of steals. When he first came up, we were hopeful he was going to be a base stealer, but that never materialized. Yeah, he's been 6.65 the past three years, so maybe not with him. But I kind of lean into the volatility there. If my approach, if I don't happen to get Trey Turner or in round one or Jose Ramirez in round two, somebody I can really count on for a lot of steals early, certainly Acuna first overall, something like that, is to just kind of, to, to gravitate toward the hitters that I don't think will be a complete zero in stolen bases and hope to get like eight here, 12 there and put together a competitive total that way. And and, and usually like anything short of 20 steals from a player in in the past, historically, I, I wouldn't have considered that guy a base stealer, but I, I, it's it's forcing me to take a more kind of focused look at stolen bases and and just really add up the marginal contributions there because that may be that may be the best way to go about it so that you don't end up having to uh, to take Keston Hira in round four, or another way to do it is like just make sure you get. Jonathan VR yeah. or uh, yeah. Tommy Edmonds, a guy I'm drafting a lot but of course if you're putting all your if you're putting all your chips in that if you're putting all your eggs in that basket it may end up may end up spilling it and getting just runny egg mess on
2: the paper. <laughs> runny egg mess. So, okay yeah. Scott r- fire through this so we can get to the auction ready. Okay. JR, JR JT Real Muto, 43rd overall, Gary Sanchez 69th overall, Yes, Yasmani Grandal 95th, Wilson Contreras I think is 111th. Um, Real Muto, 20, 26 picks ahead of Sanchez. Sanchez is 26 picks ahead of Yasmani Grandal.
0: Yeah, I've, I've really come to like Real Muto most. Uh, the, I, two rounds earlier? I don't think see, so. See, before you were talking about how Real Muto was going too late, right? And now in round four is what we're talking about in yeah. 12-team league. I don't like it either. Yeah. I'd rather wait. But Uh, he is definitively number one, I think. I have an easier time paying up for him, I think, at a points league because of the playing time advantage is so significant there. Yeah, agreed. But what's happening most often at catchers, I'm just taking Mitch (laughs) Garver,
2: Blake Snell, 48th overall, just behind Corbin, Kershaw, and Giolito, just ahead of Paddock, Darvish, Nola, and Charlie Morton. Blake Snell, 48th. Blake Snell, 48th, is not...
0: A pitcher I'm drafting very often. Um, where that where he ranks among other starting pitchers.
2: Yeah, I behind Corbin, Kershaw, Giolito, ahead of Paddock, Darvish, Nola, yeah. Morton.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure why we're paying up for him, especially since he's had some elbow issues, especially since there are concerns about how deep he's going to pitch
2: into games. I He's probably the best yeah. pitcher of that group, though. Yeah. On a inning for inning basis. You know, he's but,
0: but what is that worth really?
2: I'd still Even, take him over Giolito. I cannot take a half season wonder over Blake Snell. But I believe in Giolito in general. I take, take,
0: take Giolito over Snell all y- the time. You also love G- I <laughs> take Aaron Nola, Charlie Morton.
2: Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't take I, Paddock over Snell. I that I couldn't do either.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I haven't I haven't really faced that decision yet. Somebody I'm always in a league with somebody who takes Snell more like here. And so it never happens. I think I've taken Snell in one league, and I think it just happened to be a league where he fell beyond all those other guys. So yeah, I I rank him lower than the consensus. Clearly
2: Matt Olson, 49th overall. That's the guy, Matt Olson. I couldn't believe that he, when you do auctions, you know, there just ends up being these really good hitters that, that like go very, very late when almost nobody has money left. And Matt Olson was probably the last of those hitters. And he went for 10 bucks. But 49th overall for Matt Olson, that's too early for me.
0: Yeah, he goes ahead of Chris Bryant. Why? He goes ahead of...
2: Vlad, he goes ahead of... Also, these great pitchers, Paddock, Darvish.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, well, I'm too focused on you know, pitching at that point.
2: The hitters, like, I could see it. He goes ahead... I, could, I don't know why you take him ahead of Chris Bryant. I, I mean, I guess he could definitely could out-homer him. He will, but...
0: This might be an NFBC-specific thing because those are 15-team leagues generally, I think. They might have a few different options, but usually I see it in a 15-team context. And a 15-team league, first base becomes kind of iffy. It's true.
2: It's true. Okay. Uh, All right. Let's talk about the auction. Listen to this team, everybody, and just think about how you like it, right? $260 budget. You start two catchers, first, second, third, short, middle infield, corner infield five outfielders, and a DH. So how many hitter spots is that? Twelve? One, two, one, two. There 3, 4, are 14 hitter 14. spots. Nine pitcher spots. Those pitcher yep. spots are not specific RP or, or SP, just nine pitcher spots. And you've got five-by-five five categories, batting average, home runs, runs, RBIs, steals, wins, ERA, strikeouts, whip, saves. Pretty standard. Okay, listen to this team. Catchers are Jason Castro and Sean Murphy. First base is Trey Mancini, which obviously looked like a better pick on Friday. Uh, Gavin Lux at second, Brian Anderson at third, Paul DeYoung at shortstop, John Birdie at middle infield, and Chuck Peterson at corner infield. That is by far the worst infield I've pretty much ever seen. Um, the outfield is is Okay. The outfield has Christian Yelich, Mike Trout, and Ronald Acuna. <laughs> uh, yep. Pretty amazing. Luis Robert and Shinsu Chu. DH is Aristides Aquino, and that's going to be a revolving door at DH for, for this team because we don't even know what his playing time is going to be. But basically, you see what happened here. He took yeah. Yelich, Trout, and Acuna. Trout and Acuna for four, 52 bucks. Yelich somehow for only $45. Bucks, mm-hmm. And the rest of the hitters are... Like, the fourth best hitter is probably maybe Luis Robert, Trey Mancini, otherwise. It's it's mm-hmm. crazy. Let's look at the pitchers. The only
0: other guy he's spent on beyond those three hitters, the top three hitters in virtually every draft, is Shane Bieber. He spent $31 on him.
2: Yeah, let's look at the pitchers. Bieber, yeah. Bieber, Montas, Otani, Eduardo Rodriguez, Jake Odorizzi, although in the notes I put him as joke Odorizzi, which is un- unintended and a mean thing to say. Bieber, Montas, Otani, Eduardo Rodriguez, Jake Odorizzi, Jose Quintana, Liam Hendricks, Tony Watson, Wade Davis. I I could not believe what was going on when he gets, you know, it's Trout and Acuna, and I wanted to see what yeah. would happen. I think I hate the team. Uh, well, we'll see what happens. Like I don't I, think the pitching I, is good enough. I used
0: to do stuff like this back when position scarcity was more of a thing. I'd do things like draft Joe Mauer and Victor Martinez as my catcher. I'd take Troy Tulewitzki as my shortstop and Hanley Ramirez as my middle infielder just so nobody else could have a good shortstop. I'd, but that, that world doesn't exist anymore. So what I ended up spending – like I, I like to find the scarcity and – pay up for that and the scarcity right now is high in starting pitching so I ended up with four of those but like I've, I've won leagues doing this sort of thing before it could totally work out you have to be confident in your ability to find low dollar sleepers and, and play the waiver wire but it's it's in, in a league of this size it's absolutely something that can happen obviously you need those players to perform up to expectations Um but uh, yeah, that's you have to be very careful with your money for the rest of the auction when you do this too. And I, I think it was. This is. Do we even mention who it was? It was no, donkey, donkey Teeth. Donkey Teeth. I was about to. Donkey Teeth of Rasball. That's not his birth name, but that's that's what he goes by. Donkey Teeth. So, um, yeah, I don't like that. He he did capitalize on a lot of those values in the later stages of the draft when everybody uh like had what? kind of. Spent a little more than they should like early, what, and so there just value? wasn't a lot of money left what for are you some talking pretty about? good players. What
2: value did he get late in the draft? I, I'm i not well, Montas... Trey Mancini
0: for seven was good. We'll see if yeah, that really uh, turns out. Montas uh, Frankie Montas 12 for 12 was great. great, Eduardo yeah. Rodriguez for five was great.
2: Uh, maybe, oh. yeah, for five, it's pretty good. Uh, um. What do you think about Jose Quintana? Any interest in him? No, okay. All right, so uh, you know this is an interesting strategy. We'll see what happens. You really have to play it out because you know you, again, Scott said you got to be confident in your ability on the waiver wire. So you've got to see doing a mock draft with this strategy doesn't really do anything. You're not gonna you're gonna have crappy players. You got to see if using the waiver wire and all the unexpected breakouts throughout the season, plus having the th- arguably three best players in fantasy baseball, Yelich, at Cunha. And I I
0: don't think like I thought about doing this going into it, but I I don't think the scarcity is there among high end bats to do it for high end bats. You know, that's that's kind of where I landed on it with it.
2: So this is a piece of advice that I thought about during the draft that I should have given out on Friday. Figure out how many players are going to be auctioned in your league, how many roster spots times how many teams and then look at either a top 300 or look at average draft position and take a look at the players that, like the last 30 players. What did we have? 270, what? 270, how many?
0: 276 players are auctioned in a 12-team league with 23-man rosters.
2: Yeah, and then we do a seven-round reserve draft. But the auction was 276 players. So take a look at the last 30 players in that group in either ADP or rankings or whatever, how do you feel about them? These are the guys that you're going to get for a dollar or two. These are the guys you're going to fill out your roster with. And if you feel good about them, then it encourages you to spend more on studs. Now, I'm not talking about what Donkey Teeth did because that's just an extreme version of it. But for me, I have four top, uh, let's see, I have Trey Turner, Freddie Freeman, Walker Bueller, and Max Scherzer. So that's four top like eighteen players, which obviously you can't do in a draft. And I was sitting there doing the do, doing the auction, and I thought almost everybody that got bid on, I was like, yeah, this this player is good. You know, I'm mm-hmm. interested in these players. I like these players. I don't feel like I have a scrub in my lineup. I have look. I'm weak at Garrett Hampson's my starting second baseman. That might stink. Gene Segura might be great. Might be. You might have gotten a forty steel guy. <laughs> yeah, for for three dollars. Uh, Gene Segura one dollar at middle infield. But most of my team, you know, like I took Ian Happ. I know Ian Happ's probably not top two seventy and He might be, but Ian Happ is a sleeper that I like. I got him for a dollar. Mm-hmm. Most of my team I really like. So my point I, I like is, your team
0: too. I I gave it. I I highlighted four or five teams that I liked in the write up for this, and yours was one of them.
2: Yeah, the judge thing hurts, but. Yeah, but I can you know, but I can get by. Um, but I, again, I think you understand the depth, uh, and you understand the types of players that are going to be on your roster late in the auction, and that if you if you like those players, then you go you go big on uh, on the studs. I think that's a good way to determine what your strategy should be. Uh, I want to make sure that I get at least one of the trendy breakouts and see Scott. I'm I'm less inclined to do that in an auction because if I have four top 18 players, the need for a breakout isn't quite as big. But I was, well, able, I was plus, able to get Miguel trendy Sano. trendy
0: breakouts, they're probably somebody everybody was expecting to get. And so they okay. end up going for too much. That seems to happen a lot.
2: I got Miguel Sano, so I was happy to get at least one of them. But like, I wanted Keston here. I just couldn't do it. I, you know, um, And then last thing, I have a, a Roto strategy. I'm going to save it for another show so we can all kind of talk about it and debate it. But I have a roto pitching strategy that I, I more or less executed might've made one mistake with it, but I'm interested to see how it goes. But, uh, you can see the results on the website and I mean, I, I have a pretty good team and I had the most money at the end and I bullied everybody and I got the guys I wanted <laughs> and I really liked, I have Edwin on for $3. I really like that, you know. I I was happy to get Garrett Hampson. I was r- thrilled to get Wilson Ramos for $2 as one of my mm-hmm. two catchers. So, I love being a bully at the end because again, when you think that the player pool is good, that the guys you're getting late are good, you want to have that money so you can kind of pick David Dahl for 5 bucks, Michael Brantley for 6 bucks, just because these guys are top 120 picks or whatever. They went really late in the auction. They were some of the last good players that went. And I got them. I got most of the guys I wanted. So uh, that's my takeaway. And Scott, what do you have to say about the auction?
0: Yeah, so I kind of wasn't as disciplined as I normally like to be. And I I got kind of sidetracked a couple times by, oh, this guy seems like good value. I better bid on him uh not necessarily just to raise the price like I was where I could win him but then after I won him having some immediate regret because oh I had other places that I probably needed to devote those dollars so there was a $26 Charlie Blackman that I won and a $12 Carlos Correa that I won and you were competing with me for him Adam uh, even though I already had Trevor Story. So That's a Carlos great value. Correa in my middle infield spot That's for $12. That's a great
2: $12. value. Like, for, for you right. to get Correa for the same price that I got Sano, so obviously right. it could go but, either way, but I think you won that.
0: <laughs> but then it left me with like 10 lineup spots to fill and only $18 to do it after that Carlos Correa bid. And that was when you could see that a lot of really good values were coming up and would I have rather divided those dollars differently yeah but the thing is like it's never too late to get disciplined was kind of my takeaway from this because after that i just shut it down i I talked about this on when we talked about uh what was it thursday show when we talked about auctions or friday show um yeah how when you your max bid is basically double or half of what your total balance is then you need to only bid two or three dollars on players two dollars on the ones you want, $3 on the ones you really want, go straight there. And and that's what I did from that point forward. But one thing I did in addition to that was my favorite sleepers still all happened to be out there. And I was very careful not to nominate them myself, just to see how long they could get through. Everybody else's money could be drained to a point that I could actually compete with them with my 2 and $3 bids. Yes, and yes. I ended up getting... A two-dollar Mark Canna, a two-dollar Gio Urshela, a two-dollar Avi Garcia, a two-dollar Dylan Bundy. Actually, Josh James for one dollar, Alex Wood for one dollar. Have you heard me talk about these guys <laughs> at all on the podcast?
2: Yeah, you did well with that, and you yeah. and you waited it out. I did the same thing because I noticed that a lot of there was a point in the draft about midway through the auction, people kept nominating someone for a dollar or two. And then those guys would start going for four, six, eight, yeah. you know. So I said, That's, okay, yeah. people got too much money right now. I'm not nominating my sleepers right now. I Like I wanted to get Jose Alvarado for $1. I was not willing to pay three for him. I wasn't really willing to pay two for him. I had to wait a few rounds of bidding to feel comfortable that nobody was going to put a second dollar. He's he's not even a closer, so he's maybe not a great example. But Edwin Encarnacion, I wouldn't have gotten him for $3 if I had nominated him. 40, 40 minutes earlier. When, you know, I had to wait it out. I did the same thing you did. you got to get some money off the table. Don't put your sleepers out too early. If you notice that guys are going consistently for more than you thought they would, um, yeah. don't well, put your and, sleepers and, out. And
0: with those crummy players, like I, I, I almost brought this up when you were talking about look at the last 30 in a top 300. A lot of those guys who probably should have gone in the reserve draft got nominated, and they got nominated in a point where they went for too much, because this is something that consistently happens even among experts. So I I would assume um, among non-experts it happens a lot too. Just in the early to mid-ranges of the draft where there's still a lot of money out there, anybody who gets nominated uh, seems to get bid on, even though he probably doesn't deserve it. And obviously you could take that too far and nominate some, I don't know, what's a good example, Freddie Galvis? for a dollar <laughs> yeah, you'll right. probably win him but <laughs> you will yeah yeah uh, but you know if it's if it's somebody you kind of want you wouldn't mind winning him for a dollar but he's not one of your like sleepers either and you're just looking to drain some money throw him out and see what happens
2: joe adele like, went for five bucks like david Dahl, okay. went david Dahl went for six joe adele went for five so yeah
0: i mean that was kind of a timing thing exactly
2: yeah. that's what i'm saying yeah. um because, that was more of
0: an underpay for Dahl than an overpay for Adele in and, my mind, but and,
2: yeah. Right, and the way the reason why it happened is because Dahl, I didn't go into it thinking, hey, I'm going to wait and wait and take David Dahl. You never know when he's going to be auctioned off, but he is somebody that I wanted, You know, late batting average, cheap batting average source, and when I nominated David Dahl, or I don't know if I nominated him or I just went aggressively after him, I people had spent all their money. So if, if David Dahl had gone had been nominated one pick after Joe Adele, probably goes for close to 10 bucks because Adele went for five. He went for six. Uh, uh, so I, you know, it's just timing is, is so important in, in auctions and it's why you have to be patient and you have patience. What was what my two piece preparation and patience? You <laughs> uh, have a strategy and you know, you can stick to it, but don't be too rigid. You know, if there's a great value, like I, I don't think you're going to regret the Carlos Correa pick. I think, even if it screwed things up a little bit for you might end up being awesome and the charlie blackman pick i mean 26 bucks for blackman that i thought that was awesome i was like oh damn it scott <laughs> <laughs> so,
0: definitely find value in a vacuum it just for as many roster spots as i still had to fill and as many much money as i had already spent uh primarily on pitchers well no i got i got story for 38 i got bregman for 37 then Strasburg for 30, Giolito 25, Kershaw 24, Sonny Gray for 18. I got my four aces that I wanted there. And that's a lot of money between six players. So to then throw 26 at somebody else, um, especially knowing some of those hitter values, I might have would have preferred to split those 26 into two guys who are just a little worse than Charlie Blackman because that's what they ended up going for. Like a Matt Olson, what did Matt Olson go
2: for? Olson was 10. He went for 10. But he was one of the steals. He was. Everybody was like, "How is Matt Olson still <laughs> available?" He was. I mean, top fifty player in NFBC right now, and he was one of the last, last great player, uh, potentially great players. I, I
0: mean, this. I'm just looking at two of the guys on the same team: Matt Olson for ten, Yoenis Makata for seventeen. They went for a combined twenty-seven. Blackman for twenty-six. Would I rather have those two or the one? Probably those two, but
2: of but you course. you just don't know. It's hindsight's yeah. twenty twenty. yeah.
0: But that, that was Matt Williams of the, I don't want to say it wrong, I think he's the Turn 2 podcast. Um, and I think I might like his team best of anybody. He was very disciplined about waiting for those bid-range bargains. And the weakest hitter he drafted was probably like Jorge Polanco. I mean, his yeah, he's got his really lineup good is awesome. Team. His pitching is a little questionable. It's not how I would have wanted to build a pitching staff, especially in an auction where you have this this. Uh, Let me read so it. So much control. Let but.
2: me read it because it's interesting. Because okay, so this is Matt Matt Williams' team: Grandal and Salvador Perez, Matt Olson, Keston Hira, Jose Ramirez, Jorge Polanco, Ahmed Rosario is middle infield, Joan Moncada is corner infield. Uh JD Martinez, Austin Meadows, Framil Reyes, JD Davis, Lourdes Gurriel in outfield with Max Kepler at DH. That's okay. JD anchors that. That's okay, that.
0: that those hitters?
2: Uh Martinez and Me- I think there's some I think there's some serious uncertainty there. J.D. Martinez is not, but Austin Meadows is unproven. But I look, he got a good value. Uh, okay. Twenty four is but, fine. Yeah, I mean, like, no, he didn't do badly
0: you, there. But that's obviously a high end player. He got there. Well, it's a
2: theoretically high end player. It's
0: one who's being targeted like a high end yes. player.
2: Yes. Framo yeah. Reyes, J.D. Davis, Lourdes Gurriel. That could go terribly wrong. It it
0: could, but if you if you came out of a draft, a roto draft with those fourteen hitters in those spots, I mean, that would be amazing. No, it's
2: good, and Kepler at DH is good too. Darvish, Glasnow, Wheeler, 3 of the top 37. Uh Robles, Urquidy, Musgrove, Kinsler, Savale, Hunter Harvey. Ross Stripling on the bench. Y- yeah, I, you know, the funny thing is you can look at all these 14 hitters and nine pitchers and you got really good hitters and obviously the pitching's not great, but those nine pitchers make up half your scoring. So, yeah. He does not. He does not he on paper have a good. He pitch didn't punt
0: staff. pitching though, and I think there were a couple teams in this league that did. I, he got two of the my top thirty-seven, which I guess do I need to lower to a thirty-six because yeah. Sale moved down? I guess yes. so. Uh, he got two of them. No,
2: I thought he got three. Oh yeah, Zach Wheeler. I guess
0: does count as one.
2: Darvis yeah. Glass, now and Wheeler. He's got three closers. Yeah. He's got Robles, Kinsler, and maybe Harvey.
0: Maybe Harvey, yeah.
2: And he got some upside
0: arms closes. there in Herkedia and Musgrove. Those are kind of trendy sleepers. I've even seen Savale mentioned as a sleeper in some places, though I don't totally see, I don't buy into that so much myself. So like, he gave himself a chance to have a good pitching staff. It's, it's not, it's not where I want my money going. Like I want to make sure I feel really good about my pitching going in, as we've talked about many times. But he didn't, he didn't neglect it. And he still ended up with those hitters. So I, I think he probably comes out of the auction with the best team on paper.
2: Okay. And uh, on Tuesday's show, we'll read a lot of your emails, at com. We've got some good questions. I've already put them in the notes. So I'm excited to read those. And, yeah, I do want to get everybody's thoughts on my Roto pitching strategy, which is two top six pitchers, Josh Hader, and then I'll explain the rest. That's it for today's show. Good night, everyone. Well, you're going to hear this in the morning. So have a great Monday, everybody. For Scott, I'm Adam. We'll talk to you Tuesday with another edition.
1: If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is, on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history.